0: For this morning, we're going to continue on. We're actually closing out a series right now. It's only a short series. It was three weeks long, and uh, the the title of the series was Miracles, and uh, we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at how God has been at work um, throughout the Scriptures doing miracles, and um, we, we, we went to different points in the Bible. We've kind of been moving around a little bit just to get an idea of three different miracles, three of just many, many miracles that we can see taking place throughout the Bible. So just to kind of remind you, if you've um, not been here before, to kind of fill you in on on what we we think a miracle is. So the dictionary refers to it as this. Um, The dictionary says that a miracle is an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers. And it's ascribed to a supernatural cause. So it's something that takes place that, that really is beyond any human or natural powers and, and that we ascribe it to a supernatural cause. You know, here it Connects, for many of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, we believe that that supernatural cause is, is God. We believe that God is, is in the universe and is wanted to still be at work in our lives. That he's not some far off being a million miles away, but he's wanted to be active and real in our lives. And we, and we see evidence of miracles taking place throughout the Bible. And I believe we even see evidence of miracles taking place since then throughout history. So I want to talk about uh, another miracle that we can read about this morning. And just to kind of set it up, I want to um, just just introduce it by talking about something that's going on right now. Um, it's a very small thing. You've probably not heard of it because it's kind of real uh, low-key. It's called the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Anyone heard of that? It's, it's real small. It hasn't really impacted the globe at all. But um, unless you've been living in a cave, I think every one of us has either seen or covered ourselves with water. Now, as I'm looking at I'm already feeling guilty because I have personally been challenged to do this. And I have every intention of, of completing that challenge um, at some point. We will do it, the Jane family. Keep, it, keep an eye out. You'll see us with water. But um, I wanted to just kind of set up this morning's miracle with um, showing you a couple of videos because if you've been looking online, you'll have seen all these different people doing these challenges. It's great to see all the different creative ways that people have been Basically, just pouring buckets of water on their heads. but what I love about the world in which we live, with the video cameras rolling, is that inevitably you're going to catch a few that didn't quite go as planned. And do you know what I love the most is that it's a global phenomenon. You know, the word fail, I think, translates the same across the planet. It doesn't matter where you're from. You might be from my neck of the woods in England, and fail still means the same thing. Check out this first video. All right, fantastic. Thank you, Great Britain, for sending us that great video. And how many dads here in the uh, audience just completely resonated with the fact that there was your teenage daughter, she's just collapsed in front of you. You've got a bucket full of water, you could help her up. Or you're like, hey, I'm right there. That's exactly where my bucket's going as well at that point, so. But what I love is that it doesn't matter where you live, it can still happen here in America. Just so you guys don't feel outdone this morning, I've showed you a British video. Let's come back across the Atlantic here to the United States and let's see how things happen here in America. (laughs) i could just watch i've I've watched that two or three times getting ready for today and it just never gets old (laughs) i think the moral of the story is if you're going to do this challenge use a hard sided bucket these guys are always in these flimsy things that just kind of give way all over their heads there so um i love it i love watching these videos and here's why i showed you them this morning because this morning the miracle that i wanted to talk about involves pouring So I thought that would really kind of set the scene for what we're going to speak about. And it's just it's a bit of a stretch, but they were good videos. So this morning, the video, we're not talking about pouring water. We're actually going to be talking about pouring oil, okay? Olive oil, in fact. Because we're going to look at a miracle that took place um, thousands of years ago. It was actually through a prophet whose name was Elisha. You know, in the Old Testament, we learn about these two men. One was named Elijah And one was named Elisha. And it gets kind of confusing sometimes because they both lived around the same time. In fact, Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. So this morning, we're going to look at a miracle that Elisha performed eight to nine hundred years before the birth of Jesus. Now, you can read about this in a book in the Old Testament. It's called Two Kings. There was one Kings and two Kings. We're going to read from Two Kings, chapter four. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. If not, we'll have it up on the screens here and you can read along. It says, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. So Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars. Set each one aside when it is filled. So she did, as she was told. Her sons kept bringing the jars to her, and she filled one after another. And soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God, when she told Elisha what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left over. So we see this amazing miracle take place where all she had was this tiny piece, tiny flask of olive oil. And Elisha says, just grab some jars and, and just start filling. And just miraculously, the, the oil just never stops flowing. And she fills jar after jar after jar. And, and before you know it, she's got all these jars and she's able to sell some. She's able to live with the others and her problems are solved. You know, the last two weeks we, we looked at miracles involving healing, Last week, we looked at Peter and John, two of the disciples, how they were able to heal a a lame man who was sat outside of the the temple. The week before that, we we looked at a story of Jesus, how he healed a man that was lowered down uh, through the roof on a mat. But this week, we're actually going to look at a different kind of miracle. This week, it's not healing, it's provision. We're going to look at how God miraculously provided for someone. You know, this isn't the only time we read of this kind of miracle. You may be familiar with the miracle that Jesus performed when he turned five loaves and two fishes into a miraculous amount to feed enough for 5,000 people. So this is another example of, of a provision miracle. What we learn about this widow is that she's in debt. We discover that the creditors are at her door. She's about to lose her sons into slavery. So she turns to the only place that she knows she can turn, to the man of God, it says, and she cries out to him for help. And Elisha asks, Tell me, what do you have in the house? So picture that. She's come to Elisha. She said, Listen, the the creditors, they're knocking at my door. We are without, we're at our wit's end. It is, it, it is, we're at the point now of just no return. What can I do? And he says, what do you have in your house? That had to be a strange response to the widow at the time. She probably wasn't expecting a question like that because she was probably coming to Elisha hoping for some kind of financial assistance. Maybe in her mind she thought, you know, my my husband before he died, he worked with Elisha. He was one of the prophets. And because of that relationship, hopefully they can kind of band together here. Maybe they can help me out financially. Maybe they can support me a little bit. But instead, Elisha says, what do you have in your house? So naturally, she responds. She says, well, nothing at all. She's like, did you not hear me? They're knocking at my door. i got nothing. I mean, except a flask of olive oil. All she had was this little bit of olive oil. Now in those times, olive oil would have been uh, an important commodity to have in your home. They would use it for cooking, preparing the food. They would use it for fuel as well to, to provide heat and light. So olive oil had a lot of uses. So it's not that it was a bad thing to have. She just only had a little bit. But little did she know That something she considered small and insignificant was all that God needed to perform an amazing miracle. You see, when I read about this miracle, and I've tried to do this every week because the, the stories themselves are fantastic. It's great to read about what God was doing through his people and how he was, his, his glory was being given as, as he performed these miracles. But I think there's things that we can learn as well from these stories. And, and one of the things I think we can learn as we look at this story is that God likes to take the small things and make them great. God likes to take the small insignificant, and say, listen, I can do much more than you could ever imagine with something small. Because we know that God can create something from nothing. We see that in the the universe in which we live. If you read the the account of creation, it says that God created the the heavens and the stars, and he created the earth and man and and animals. So we know that God can create something from nothing. But in this instance, and also in the, the instance in the New Testament with the loaves and the fishes, Instead of creating something from nothing, we see him take something small and multiply it. We see him take a small flask of olive oil and produce tons and tons of olive oil from that small flask. And I just wonder if that's what God wants us to learn from this situation. I wonder if that's one of the things that we can learn from this story. You see, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot here at Connect Church uh, about serving. We told you that in a few weeks' time, we're going to go to two services. And uh, in order to do that, we're going to need more people to step up and, and help out. And, and you guys have done brilliant. You've responded to that. But maybe there are some who have thought, well, I'd like to help, Dave, but I'm not sure what I can do. I've, I've got nothing. You know, I'm, I'm not very good at this or, or I'm not very good at this. And, and what could I do? But you may think that what you have is too small or maybe too insignificant but God doesn't you may think that it's it's your your time oh Dave I'm so busy I'm not sure how much time I can give you know with with all that's going on I might only be able to serve for a a small amount of time is it worth it I don't think I can do much I don't have much in the way of talents you know can I really make much of a difference you know, sometimes we talk here about treasure, time, talents, and treasure. They're all areas in which we can, we can serve and areas in which we can give. And you might think, well, I, I've not got much to give. But as I read this story, I don't think God's looking for people who've got lots to give. I think he's looking for people who are just faithful to give something. Faithful to give something small because God is a miracle work in God. And God can take something small and do something incredible with it. I really believe that if you're willing to give it anyway, God can take it and do way more that seems possible. You know, I often hear, um, as I'm talking to people here and they're they're serving, I'll hear people say, well, I just set up the chairs. You know, I'm not really good at some of these other things, so I just set up chairs on something, and that's what I do. Or or maybe someone says, well, yeah, I, I help out in the nursery sometimes, and all I do is help with the babies, as if there are many more great things that I could be doing, but I've chosen to just do something small like put chairs out. But the reality is everything, however small or insignificant it seems, God can take and do incredible things with. You see, we're not dealing with normal math here. Normal math would say, well, I'm setting out one chair so one person can sit down, and that's a one-for-one situation. But, but we read about in the Bible here a God who could do miraculous things. In fact, Paul, a guy who writes in the New Testament, he wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. And in that letter, he said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when talking about God, he said, he who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I love that verse that God wants to do immeasurably more. Like you couldn't measure how much more God wants to do in you and through you. More than you could ever ask or imagine. And I can ask and I can imagine some pretty big things and God wants to do immeasurably more. So I think with God's math, you look at it like this. I may just be setting at one chair on a Sunday morning, but that one chair allows one person to sit and hear about how much God loves them. And as they're in this environment and they hear how much God loves them, it could change their lives forever. And that chair where they sit this morning, they could discover the plan that God has for their life and for their family and for their kids and for their grandkids. And before you know it, that it's changing their life. It's changing the lives of their friends, their neighbors. And what you did that you thought may have been, well, I was just setting out the chairs, actually has this this exponential impact on the lives of people. Because I think this story shows us that God wants to take what we think sometimes is small or insignificant and do so much more with it than we could ever imagine. You know, the same is true in our lives. It doesn't just happen here on a Sunday morning in Connect. It happens outside of of the Sunday morning experience as well. I know there are many here this morning that have committed to following Jesus. Many of you here have come and you've made that decision to say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to serve him in whatever way I can. But I wonder if you've ever found yourself, even as a follower of Jesus, kind of playing down your role. Well, I'm just a housewife. You know, what I do with my life isn't as grand as what that person does over there. Right? I'm, just a, I'm just a housewife. I just raise the kids. Well, I just, I just work at Caterpillar. It's just a regular job. You know, I'm not doing a job like that that, that changes the world. I'm just here in an office. Or maybe I'm just a teacher. You may feel like you've only got a small amount of gifting or talent, but in God's hands, it can be used to impact exponentially more than you can ever, ever imagine. In fact, some may say here this morning, I'm just a teacher. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more at the end. You have no idea the impact that you can have on the world in which you live. What I love about this miracle when I read about this this widow with the oil is that it shows us that we serve a God who, although he could create something from nothing, he shows us he would rather take something small and multiply it. I think it gives even more glory to God when he takes something small like that and multiplies it. You imagine that widow sharing that story. Guess what? I went to Elisha. And, and, and God, God moved miraculously and all this oil came from this small flask. It's a miracle. God has provided so much. And I think God wants to perform the same kind of miracle in our lives. He wants to take something small and multiply it. It might be something small in your life. It might be something small that you feel you can give. But even though it's just small, don't, don't hold back from God. Don't say, well, it's just this. Because God's saying, hey, I just want that. That's all I want. Because if you'll give me that, if you'll give me that area of your life, if you'll give me that opportunity to serve, if you'll give me that, that, that talent, that treasure, that time, whatever it may be, and you, you say, well, it's just, I'll take what's just, and I'll do something incredible with it. I will multiply and do more than you could ever imagine could happen with that part of your life. I love that element of the miracle. I really think that's something that we can learn from as we read about this widow with the oil. But I don't think that's the only thing we can learn from that story. I think there's another thing we can learn as we read about this particular miracle. I believe, as I was reading this, that another thing we can learn is that um, we can ask ourselves this question. How much are we expecting God to do? In our lives, how much are we expecting God to do? Because I think God actually works within our expectations. I think God says, listen, I want to work in your life, but um, in some ways, I'm actually limited by what you expect me to do, what you allow me to do in your lives. If you expect me to do big things, if you, if you allow me to do big things, if you're willing to open up and say, God, I want you to take every area of my life moving, I will do great things, but it will always be dependent on how much you're willing to give. And let me explain how I come to that conclusion. It says that they ran out of jars, it says that there came a point where they ran out of jars to fill. The verse says, there aren't any more, he told her. When she cries out to her son, get me another jar, quick, keep them coming. And he says, there aren't any more. We filled them all. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. As I've been reading this and studying it, praying, I, we don't know if they got all the jars they possibly could. We don't know if they went to every single neighbor. Maybe they went to the whole village. maybe they just went to a few. We don't know if when they arrived at the neighbor's house, they're like, "Hey, I need a jar." And the neighbor said, "You well, want, I've got this one. It's pretty big, or I've got this bathtub." Ah oh, yeah. <laughs> that one will be fine. I'm sure we'll just be fine with the small one. We'll just take that. We don't know how many jars that she brought. They bought the sons. But we do know this: We do know that the oil kept flowing. Till the jars ran out. Think about that. The oil kept flowing till the jars ran out. It doesn't say that they got all these jars and they filled about two-thirds of them and then the oil ran out. No, God's miracle just kept on working and working and working until eventually the jars ran out. And you have to wonder if they sat there thinking, you know what? We knocked and they didn't answer so we went to the next house. We should have knocked louder. I bet they were home. I bet there was another jar we could have got. But they actually limited it because it says that when the jars were all full, the oil stopped flowing. I believe in reading that, that God had enough for whatever they were willing to believe him for. And I believe God's wanted to do a lot in our lives. I think he's wanted to do um, work in all of our lives to fill every area of our life. And I think sometimes the only limit to what he wants to do is us. The only limit to what he wants to do in our lives is us because we we will limit how many jars we'll bring to God. We'll limit how many areas of our life God fill this area. The oil keeps flowing as long as we keep presenting jars for him to fill. You know, I've got to be honest, this is something that God's really challenging me on as a leader right now. In a few weeks' time, as I said earlier, we're moving from one to two services. Now, there are some some practical reasons for this. We're we're finding that the rooms in the kids' area are filling up. We're finding that the parking lot is filling up, that there's there's running out of spaces for people to park in. But I've got to be honest, despite those, those growing pains, one of the main reasons that we're wanting to move to two services is because at the very core of Connect Church's DNA is a desire for us to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus. Our desire at our heart is to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus. That may be you this morning. Maybe you've come along at the invite of a friend or a neighbor, and, and maybe you're at that point where you're like, you know what, Dave, I'm, I'm kind of checking it out, but I'm, I'm still not sure. I was so thrilled that so many of you were so honest with your responses on your surveys last week. And as I read through them, and we're still gathering all that data, and we'll, we'll let you know what the kind of final outcome was when we we've, when we've figured it all out. But I noticed there were many people who said, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm still trying to work through this. And there was two great questions. One that asked where you kind of were spiritually before you came to Connect and where you are now. And, and some were like, you know, beforehand, I don't think I even believed in God. Now, I, I think I believe in him, but I'm not sure about this whole commitment. There were others who said, you know, um, I wasn't sure if I believed. And now they're like, you know, since then, since coming to Connect, I am I am all in. I am fully committed. I recognize Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And that's great because that's our heart that connects. That was our goal. We wanted to reach people that don't yet know Jesus. He's changed our lives and we wanted to change your lives too. But there are others who are still outside. So from moving from one to two services, we're creating another opportunity for people to come and discover the same Jesus that we have discovered. And we're excited about that. For us, that's exciting that there's an opportunity to grow, to to set out another jar for more of God, to move and touch lives. But it's coming with challenges. We know that. We'll need more volunteers, and, and many of you have signed up already. There's another opportunity to sign up today at the end if you've not yet. Because going from one to two services goes from one set of volunteers to twice as many volunteers. But it's great that some of you said, Dave, I want to to sign up. I love the the fact that I can actually serve now and still attend Connect. I could serve in first service in the 10 seconds. Or I could could attend first service and then stay and go and help out in in second service in some area. And I think that's great. You know, another challenge we've realized we faced is that the times of these two services will be 9.30 and 11. I know a lot of you really enjoy coming at 10.00. It's a good time to come. It just fits. You know, you've kind of started to get into the, the swing of things now. This is a good schedule. You don't know, Dave. I, I get up at this time. We sit around. We have coffee. We read the paper. We get dressed. We, and we get here at 10. It works great. Now you're making me either get up earlier or come later. And some of you have figured this out already. Okay, so maybe we could come a little bit earlier at 9.30. Or maybe we come at 11. But you know what? If we come at 11, that means we're not going to get out until after 12. Dave. Do you know what happens at 12 on a Sunday? That's right. It's the other football. The other football happens. <laughs> uh, for those who aren't English, I know football is the only football, but for us Brits, there are two footballs, but that's another sermon for another day. But yeah, so you're like, Dave, we're going to run a bit late. We're going to miss the start of the game. And I realize that's going to be a challenge, but I've got three words for you. D-V-R. Okay, D-V-R, it's, it's, it's your friend. Okay, three letters maybe. But uh, you can record the game. You can come to the second service, get home in time. Now, I realize that means that from 12 onwards, you can't be on Facebook, you know, because you might see the score. And when you leave, you'll have to go through the foyer going la, 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 just in case someone cuts to you. He goes, can you believe six touchdowns already? And you're like, no, I'm recording the game. But we've looked at some of these challenges and we're aware that there are some challenges we're going to have to overcome. But the truth is, I could actually look at these challenges and think, oh yeah, there's, there's too many things that are going to disrupt. Let's just stick with what we're at. But as I read this miracle, I'm challenged by God to believe for more. I believe God's saying, listen, Dave, I've got this plan to reach more people. God loves them. I, as much as I love seeing people come to know Jesus, God loves it even more. He's desperate to have a relationship for people that are far from him. And he knows that there are others in this community and surrounding areas that still don't know him. So for us creating a second service, us adding a service, in the future there may be different challenges that we face in different ways that we have to grow. But my expectations are high. I want to do whatever it takes to facilitate God being able to reach people with the message that he loves them and he wants to know them. All she had to do was find the jars and God filled them. God is talking to me right now. He's challenging me. All I have to do is create the space and God will fill it. I know there are challenges and that kind of thing, but God's saying, listen, create the space and I will fill it. The same can be said in our lives. You know, How much are we expecting God to do? How much are we willing to say, God, I want to give you this area of my life. I want to give you this area of my life. And God says, hey, I will fill whatever you give me, but I'll be limited by what? You give me. So how much of our lives, how much of our our, our existence, how much of every part of our lives are we going to say, God, this is yours also to fill? You know, I want to finish off this morning by stepping away from this miracle and stepping into our world here just for a second because I'll be really honest with you. This week's been hard for me. As a pastor, because you know, we decided several weeks ago that we were going to do this series on miracles, and we knew leading up to um, our our um, anniversary Sunday, it would be a great series to do, and just tell some stories about miracles that we see take place in the Scripture, apply some practical um, life lessons from those miracles that we can uh, use to live our lives, and, and and enjoy seeing what God is up to in, in the Bible. And I actually believe that miracles didn't just happen in the Bible. I think they still happen today in all shapes and sizes, in all forms. Miracles are still taking place today. But what was difficult for me this week was that last Sunday, um, early in the afternoon, I, I got a text of someone here in the church. It was actually a Facebook message. They said, hey, Dave, you need to pray for this friend of ours. He's, um, he's had to go into hospital. Uh, we don't know what's happening, but we really want. We, he really needs prayer. Would you pray for him? So... I shared that, and and we were praying, and then as the week went on, more and more messages, more and more Facebook posts, and I realized that here at Connects, there were many, many points of connection with this young family in Morton, of this young father, this teacher by the name of Joel Stanfield. He'd had an unexplained uh, medical situation. He collapsed. He was at the hospital. He was on life support. And throughout the week, as I'm preparing this message, and as I'm thinking about this God who performs miracles, I'm seeing posts pop up everywhere and blogs and and people talking and and, and newspaper clippings and news articles saying, we got to pray. We need a miracle. We need a miracle. And so many times I saw those words come up. Pray for a miracle. Let's pray for Joel. And all week, I know hundreds, maybe thousands of people were crying out to God saying, God, we need a miracle. And I'm thinking about this series about the fact that we're teaching on miracles. And it appears that our prayers went unanswered because at the end of last week, the news came out that Joel had passed away. And I... I knew I was going to be speaking about this on Sunday. I knew I couldn't speak about miracles and not talk about this particular subject because so many were crying out to God for a miracle. And I was was praying about it and I was talking to some different people. And I want to share some of the thoughts I came up with, because I know that even if you didn't know this individual, you probably knew someone who did know him. And this has become a very, uh, that's that's one of the beauties of living in a community like Washington or Morton, is we're a very close community. So everyone sometimes is impacted by one family's tragedy. You know, last year at Connect, we did a series. It was very early on in the, the history of the church. It was called 66 Words to Live By. And it was actually a study of the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that Jesus himself taught us how to pray. And one of those lines that we looked at that Jesus Jesus taught us was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's talking about God. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus was instructing us there, saying, listen, when you pray, you can pray for all manner of things, but essentially that has to come under this umbrella of saying, but God, thy will be done. We want your will to be done in our life in our, um, in our world. We were praying for a miracle, but ultimately we were praying for God's will to be done. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I don't understand why, but in this instance, God's will was to perform a different kind of miracle. You see, I learned this week, I didn't know this gentleman, but I learned that he loved Jesus, he was a follower of Christ, his families were, were believers. So I learned that Even though some were praying for him to be healed, it was a a different kind of healing because in death, he got the ultimate healing. He is now present with Jesus in eternity where there is no more sickness and no more pain. So in essence, our prayers were answered because he was healed. But obviously, many were praying on behalf of the family of this young man because they wanted a healing that would bring him back to be with his wife and to be with his three small children. And I don't know why, but in this instance, it was God's will to allow him to pass away and to be with him in eternity. Now, I don't know him, as I said, but in the last few days, um, I got to read a lot about him through Facebook and through blogs. And I discovered he was an incredible man. Turns out he was a great teacher that inspired hundreds of students and parents alike. And that's why I mentioned that earlier. Maybe he thought he was just a teacher. But to every kid in his class, to parents who spoke with him at teacher conferences, he was never just a teacher. It turns out he was having an incredible impact on people's lives. There were students who were writing about when he taught them when they were younger and they were shy or they were dealing with this. And he, he, he was there for them. And it was that teacher that, that brought them through a difficult stage of their life. See, here's where I'm, I'm still trying to um, learn about all this and still trying to figure this out. And I'll be honest with you here this morning, I think for many of us, we've got to um, accept the fact that really this side of eternity, we're not going to get all the answers to all the questions. There are questions that I'm going to ask God one day and say, God, why this and why not that? And... But here's what I've learned since preparing this series on miracles is that Jesus didn't heal everyone. There's a story in John chapter 5 about uh, an area, it was a pool, where many sick people gathered. And it tells of a man that Jesus healed who had been sick for 38 years. And it's a great story of how he heals this man. But when I read that story, I also read that that means that he didn't heal anyone else at the pool that day. There were lots of sick people, so why did he choose to heal one and not all? I don't know, but I do know that even Jesus himself said that he only would do that that was the will of the Father. And he also said that everything he did was to bring glory to God. That means that when he prayed for someone and they were healed, that act could bring glory to God. But sometimes when we pray and, and it doesn't go the way we expected, that God can, his, he can still be glorified through that because it's his will. This series we did was called Slaying Giants just recently, and one of the weeks we talked about loss. And I think it's very real, that just happens to be in our, um, just in our distant past here that we've just been speaking about this. We had Josh and Robin here sharing about how they lost their, their 10-day-old baby Zion. And Josh and Robin, when they were here speaking, they reminded us of that verse in Isaiah that says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't understand God's plan and his purpose in not allowing a miracle to take place when so many were praying and asking God for a miracle. But I do believe, I do believe that somehow through this tragedy, God's name will be glorified. You know, already I've, I've heard stories. I've discovered that, as I said, he and his family loved Jesus. I've discovered that none of his family have any doubt that he is now in the presence of Jesus. I even discovered this week in talking to a a friend of the family that his family gathered at the point where they had to to switch off the machine and and they prayed together and then they worshipped God as he passed from this life to the next. And that to me shows tremendous faith on behalf of his family knowing that it's breaking our hearts that we're losing him but we know where he's going. We know that he's going to a better place. We'd love to have had him longer, but we know that he's going to a better place. And I wrestle with that this week because as we're crying out for a miracle, the miracle as we understand it didn't come. But my prayer is that through his death, hundreds of people are now learning about his faith in Christ. My prayer is that as those people learn about his faith in Christ, it causes them to ask themselves the question. Because let's be honest, we live our lives day in, day out, not thinking about the things of eternity and then something like this happens and it causes us to stop and think what if me where am I at right now this young man um, his faith was so strong that his family knew that he's now with Jesus we didn't get the miracle we were asking for but in a sense the miracle is that he's now in the presence of God as I was thinking about that and knowing I was going to speak this morning it took me back to a hymn that we actually sang this morning It is well with my soul. And you may not know this. I'm sure many of you recognize the song. Many of you recognize the hymn. And you sang along, um, Peace Like a River, and it is well with my soul. But I want to tell you a little bit about the, the story behind that hymn. I want to tell you how the author, a man named Horatio Spafford, came to write that particular hymn. He lived in the late 1800s, and in 1870, his son, his young son, died from scarlet fever. A year later, he was a very successful businessman, a very wealthy individual. A year later, in 1871, it was the Great Fire of Chicago. It destroyed many of the businesses and buildings that he owned, and it ruined him financially. Shortly after that, he decided that he and his family should move to Europe, and after a last-minute change of plans, he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead on a ship to cross the Atlantic. While crossing the Atlantic, their boat hit another and sank, and all four of his daughters died. His wife survived, she was rescued, and she she made it back to Europe, and she telegrammed her husband to give him the, the tragic news. So shortly after that, he got on a boat to sail back to be with his grieving wife. And he says that the captain of the boat he was on told him when they got to the spot where his wife's ship sank. And he was able to stand on the deck. And it was in that moment that he started to compose the words to that song. It is well with my soul. Because he realized at that point that whatever blows life can deal, nothing could change the fact that it was well with his soul. And that's what I want us to to realize this morning because we've talked a lot about miracles over the last three weeks. We've talked about the miracle of of healing. We've talked about the miracle this morning of provision. But I I can't reiterate enough that the greatest miracle that any one of us here this morning can ever experience in our lives, and we can, every one of us can experience this miracle, is to know what it means to be forgiven, to know what it means to to be set free, To understand that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die in your place. And that a relationship with Jesus can bring you to the place of knowing that it is well with your soul. I'm going to ask the band if they wouldn't mind. We're just um, sitting here quietly right now. Could we sing that once through? You haven't brought the mics out, have you? But Dustin can sing it, right? So just while we're sitting here in a, an attitude of prayer, I'm going to ask Dustin, could you sing the chorus through just once, It Is Well With My Soul? And I want to ask you that question this morning. As they're singing that, and as we're sitting in their seats, could you say that this morning of yourself, It Is Well With My Soul? Because that to me is the miracle of that young man's life, that yes, it was tragic, but it was well with his soul. And a grieving family find hope knowing that they will one day see him again in eternity with God.